Come on, 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 come on. Lose yourself to dance, lose yourself to dance, lose yourself to dance, lose yourself to dance. But then you hit record and you're out the door anyway. Our whole relationship is a CD skipping away. Crush on Ray. Good to be back. Woo, I'm sorry. It's always my fault. Well, I wasn't ready last week either, so it was I, I think I think last week was just snake bit. Yeah, it happens. It happens to the best of us. Um mm-hmm. And uh I feel like it's gonna be a good one. So yeah, yeah, we got a we, we got a lot on the plate today. Um so uh you know, we got a there's a big album release that happened uh about two weeks ago that we need to discuss, but, uh, yes. but before before we get onto that, we've got some picks, and uh, we also should probably talk about a uh, certain Mister uh, Ray Manzarek at some point today. Mm. So, um, you both know who that is, right? <laughs> oh yeah, oh yeah, googling it right now. <laughs> <laughs> he, he he played organ on uh, Craigslist. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> And he uh, produced uh, the first couple albums by uh, the punk band X, and I think he probably was in some other band. Anyway, um, I'm gonna. We should. It's uh, if if we're following the cycle here, uh, it's uh, Andrew's turn to uh, to start us off. And I think I thought uh, it might be. And I think you got, you probably got a lot to say about this one. Ah, uh, it's gonna be good. You know, I don't know how you guys have felt about 2013 thus far, but it has been a pretty kick-ass year for album releases, as far as my wheelhouses go. Um, I got, I have finally, this is like the first year I've done it, but I made a smart playlist, uh, for 2013 for all, all stuff that is released in 2013 and 19s. And it is tasty from top to bottom. And there's like 200 songs in here already. Um, so anyway, um, let's see. So yeah, my pick is, uh, the re-release, the 2013 deluxe remastered edition of Primus's sophomoric, sophomoric. That sounds like it's a bad thing. Sophomore album? Sophomore, sophomore, yeah. Sophomore album, yeah. Sophomore it's a little sophomoric like, at times, too. But, uh, whoa! I don't know. Their second album from... Originally in a good way, in, in a good way. Uh-huh, uh-huh. Originally released in 1991, uh, called Sailing the Seas of Cheese. And I picked this because they, uh, the, they, the, uh, the remaster has been widely anticipated for quite a while, and it just came out um, a few weeks ago. And uh, we can talk about the album and talk about uh, the remaster with uh, Matt will probably have some stuff to say about this, presumably. Um, but I, I didn't have a pick because, I mean, the whole album is really essential. So, uh, Matt, do you want to pick a Seas of Cheese pick off the top of your head for me? Um, American Life, maybe? Ooh, very nice, very nice. So we can play some yeah. of American Life for the folks now. For the Yeah, there's so many great songs on that record. It was sort of like, you know, just kind of, you know, you could have even just had Rich like pick one at random, even, you know, like spin the wheel and yeah, we really could. I, I, I probably would have picked Here Comes the, Here Come the Bastard, just you know. Ooh, yes, another here classic. they come. Because <laughs> that's it's really one of the best opening songs on. Well, it's not really an op- the opening song, but it's the closest thing to an opening song on the record. Yeah, well, I mean, Caesar Cheese is like the the prelude, you know, and. uh and then here come the bastards really kicks it off. And that's really like the fan anthem for the ant the uh, anthem for Primus fans. Here come the bastards. Uh so where to start with this? So I'm gonna go out there and say that I don't know if this is my favorite Primus record, but it's probably the most primacy. Oh, that doesn't even make sense because all Primus records are primus are primacy, but <laughs> but it I think it's the most perhaps it's the best introduction. To Primus, maybe I think it it f- has all of their qualities. I mean, the the track list from start to finish is you know essentially flawless, and it really I think it encompasses the humor. I think it encompasses the chops. Um, 
I think it has all of the things that really make Primus Primus. And all, again, all their records do, but I think Sailing with Seas of Cheese is really their definitive Primus album. Uh, would you agree with that assessment, Matt? Uh, it, probably, yeah, because I, it's one where, like I, like I say, I don't know if it's my favorite either. Like I, 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 I know we've talked about this before, but I, I'm probably still in the Frizzle Fry camp. Mm-hmm. But I mean, it, which is not to knock uh, Seas of Cheese, of course, because that's an awesome record too. But like, I think it, I think it really does. I mean, it's it's a little bit jammier than um, Frizzle Fry is, without going to the extremes of um, Tales from the Punch Bowl. Yes, because Tales from the Punch Bowl can and and Pork Soda a little bit sometimes can leave me a little bit cold with like the extended jamming. Right. Um, uh, yeah. Go ahead. And I'm not not saying like. Super, you know, I mean, just because they're still really good, but like I, I prefer the more tight, um, tighter song structures on the album. I think like uh, Seize of Cheese really hits like just about like a really great balance between the song structure and jamming. I would agree. Yeah, I think that's a good way to put it. Um, it it's certainly my favorite Primus album. So mm-hmm. of that's my since I'm I'm not the the the, the Primus nerd that you guys are so <laughs> yeah i mean i think that i mean frizzle fry is terrific i mean really from start to finish equally as cohesive but it has like a very different vibe to it even though i mean primus has sort of one of the more most unique sounds out there and it's hard to to mistake somebody else for primus um i mean frizzle fry has a very distinctive feel to it and i think it just has that early 1990 sort of thrashy primacy feel and you know from a bass player's perspective less recorded Wes Claypool who's the bass player and uh, front man vocalist for Primus uh, he recorded at that time he only had uh, his four string and so all of that that record is just really aggressive four string bass whereas Seize a Cheese was when he uh, first acquired his six string fretless bass uh, infamously called the Rainbow Bass uh, made by Carl Thompson for him right before the record started. And that, I mean, that bass, that instrument is so, I mean, like like many of the great rock guitars, uh, that instrument is so symbolic of Primus and of Les Claypool's playing style and Primus's sound. So you've got the Jerry Was a Race Car Driver and Tommy the Cat. I think those are the only, are those the only? Oh, um, Fish On. Uh, and those songs, you know, are such cornerstones of the Primus catalog and that, that funky, weird, slightly out of tune, even um, six string fretless is just so instrumental, pardon the pun, that's horrible, uh, to, to Primus's sound. And I think that the introduction of that instrument in particular is one of the reasons that makes this record so uh, such a milestone. I mean, because on Frizzle Fry, fantastic as it is, I mean, it's standard uh, four string fretted bass, whereas on this record, you know, you hear that, that intro, intro riff to Jerry was a race car driver. Um, and, you know, it's really thinking about it back in 1991, presumably there wasn't a lot of fretless six string bass going on. Um, so I think that that's, that plays a big role in it too. I don't know. So, I was around in 91. I remember like you, c- you couldn't throw a stick without hitting a six string fretless bass, you know, like, uh, really? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I mean, uh, we all had one growing up, I think, you know, if you were born <laughs> when I was born. Yeah. yeah. Um, <laughs> I mean, I have. One I, I now, used like... them for firewood. They were just so plentiful, you know. Whoa, <laughs> no. that's offensive. I mean, I have one now, and it's it's such a, a a beast because I mean, you've got and the reason that that Les ordered it. I mean, he found we don't have to go into the the history of Les's instruments, but I mean, he found his uh, his famous four string Carl Thompson in a pawn shop or whatever, and and managed to buy it. And then after the success of Frizzle Fry, he called up Carl Carl Thompson, who's a uh, a personal friend of mine since I've, I've ordered an instrument from him. Uh, and, you know, he wanted something that was going to completely blow the doors off of his playing. And so what could be the the polar opposite of his 32-inch scale uh, fretted four-string than a 36-inch scale fretless six-string bass? I mean, it's just a, a monster. So um, that's always, uh, I find that that part of the, of the mythology to be interesting. Um, and honestly, I, I I did not know that uh, Frizzle Fry was done on a four string. I mean, because I because for me, yeah. like the the six string is so tied to tied to Les Claypool. I I kind mm-hmm. of was like sort of like you know. I mean, I, I know that he sometimes will play with like a a, a stand up bass. It the the six string uh, guitar is so 
uh, tied to Les that pretty much whenever whenever I picture him playing a guitar or a bass guitar, I mean, uh, I picture the six string rather than a, a four string. It just seems like the idea of uh, Les Claypool on a four string just seems kind of weird. <laughs> yeah, I mean, well, I think that uh, that makes a lot of sense. And again, I mean, the, the four string, even though Les's Carl Thompson is an extremely unique and, you know, awesome instrument, the f- the fretted four string bass is the standard, um, you know, the most common form of uh, bass guitar that you're going to find, whereas the the fretless six string is going to be on the complete opposite end of the spectrum. And it is so iconic. I mean, that that bass has, I'll put some links in the show notes, but that bass has, uh, you know, all different kinds of exotic woods in it. And, uh, you know, and I think Carl said that he was going to make less the, the, the greatest or the best bass that he's ever made or something. And, and it's really served him very well. Um, I was going to so ask too, like, like yeah. oh, you might, you might know this because I, I actually uh, read a interview that was like really pretty cool. It was like, uh, it was between, uh, it was like when uh, Primus opened for Rush a few times. Mm-hmm. And it was like an interview. I think, I think it might have been like Bass Player Magazine or something, but I read it online and it was like an interview with like uh, Les and Getty. And I guess like, uh, I just read Les that is, interview for the first time. Yeah. Oh, I, I might have got it from you then. I can't remember because I, I saw a link online. And I was like, oh, this is like, interesting i read it was like oh shit this is awesome (laughs) but the thing about where uh les was just trying to get like the uh bass sound from uh moving pictures Mm -hmm. and and then like getty's all like oh yeah i'll I'll sell you that bass like do you know (laughs) if he ever did (laughs) i don't know if he ever did or not i know that i mean primus toured open for rush in 1992 which i believe was rush's role the bones tour so um primus would have been coming off of uh, or, you know, still promoting Sailing the Seas of Cheese. Um, and I know that they've been friends for quite a long time, which must be amazing because all of the Primus guys are huge Rush fans, and uh, Les in particular. Obviously, Geddy Lee was one of his major influences growing up. Um, and I know that, I don't know if he ever got that jazz bass, um, which is what Getty primarily played. Well, he played, Getty played a jazz bass, I think, on Tom Sawyer, and he also used his Rickenbacker on there for a couple of songs. I think Red Barchetta is the Rickenbacker. Don't quote me on that. But I know that um, Alex Lifeson, who's the guitarist for Rush, gave, I think, one slightly intoxicated evening, just gave Les a uh, a Rickenbacker. Um, oh, wow. One of those awesome, I think it's the, the 4001 model. I don't even know how you say that, Rickenbacker 4001. Um, just the classic, you know, the classic Rickenbacker bass. Um, so that's really cool. But... um. Let's see. So I'm trying to think about where else we can go with this. I mean, the with track the, listing. Go ahead. Well, let's. Can we talk? We should probably talk about the remaster. Yeah, I want to talk about that too. I mean, we only have an hour. <laughs> and yeah, you know, this is we're, probably we're, we're kind of geeking out. So <laughs> yeah, now I know how 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 you feel, Andrew, when Matt and I geek out on Devo. All right, <laughs> all right, all right, all right. Well, the um the remaster is. I mean, like I said, it was widely anticipated. And the thing about Sailing the Seas of Cheese for me is that as great a record as it is, it always seemed very quiet. And the tone of Les's bass in particular, Les's bass tone is is a, an area of interest and importance for me. And his bass tone on this record always seemed kind of thin. And, uh, and you know, the whole record as a whole seemed to be really quiet. I would always have to turn up my, my volume in the car higher than normal when I put this record on. So I was really looking forward to the remaster. And uh, Les himself personally oversaw the whole project. It's getting kind of mixed reviews. I think overall it's getting positive reviews. Excuse me on the uh, on the Primus message board. But um, some people, you know, I mean, we have been listening to the original for somebody do the math for me. Fourteen years. I don't know. Twenty. No. Yeah. Tw- uh, Twenty. Let's see. Was Twenty two. Twenty two. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I mean, we've been listening to the original mix for twenty two years. And granted, I mean the the. Just like, you know, the original Star Wars movies, you know, I mean, we love the original Star Wars movies and we love the original Sailing the Seas of Cheese for what it is. And, you know, even though 22 years later, maybe it it doesn't have the whatever high fidelity or whatever terms you want to use, but it's still, you know, you don't want to sort of contaminate the original work. And I can totally see that. And I care as much about Primus's discography uh, and the preservation of it as anyone. But I really love uh, the remaster. I uh, the I think everything sounds great. Um, I think the vocals sound great. Some people were complaining that the reverbed vocals were a little wonky in places compared to the original. I think um, I think it's awesome. I've, I'm hearing things that I never heard before, particularly during the verses on Jerry was a race car driver. 
all that stuff that that uh, sort of ambient stuff that that Larry is doing underneath uh, the verses. I had never even heard that before. I just assumed he wasn't playing during those verses, and he's actually doing all this really cool textural and really setting the mood. Uh, during those verses on Jerry. So I think that's really cool. And so overall, I don't want to ramble too much more, but overall, I really like the remaster. Um, this, the remaster has caused me to put this record on repeat um, since I bought the, uh, the, uh, the remaster. And I haven't put Sailing the Seas of Cheese on repeat since I first, you know, became a Primus fan in 2002 or 2003 or something. So I, I think very highly of it. So I'll turn it over to you guys. Yeah, I, I concur. Oh, I was going to say, I, I concur about the remaster, too. I uh, This morning, I even did a A-B compare on American Life just to, uh, you know, kind of see it. Because like you say, I mean, I always thought that the original uh, mix was kind of thin and tinny. Mm-hmm. And so and the new what uh, the new uh, remaster gives it a lot more body. I mean, it, yeah, it sounds like more like a, a real record, I guess, you know, it's like. Mm-hmm. You know, sailing. Uh, the original uh, mix of sailing almost sounded like a self-released album, mm-hmm. like sort of like um, you know maybe like you know kind of demo-y almost. Yeah. And this really uh, fattens it up and makes it sound, you know, really good. I mean, I think, and I think it's one where I mean, I think you really do like appreciate Seize the Cheese more now that it sounds more bodied. I mean, it. Mm-hmm. it it it's it's a really good job and I, I from what i understand too it's like i guess like they didn't uh they actually had to completely remix it like they didn't have the yeah. mix down or something anymore yeah i forget what the story was but they had to pretty much do it whatever the equivalent is of doing it from scratch or whatever yeah it's it I, I don't know like the details of the remaster but it definitely does sound very different i i'm not saying it sounds better but it definitely sounds really good you um, had the original rich I wish I still had the original lying around to do a do the test with, but uh, I can you know, drop it in the I, box for you if you're interested. Not really worth it, in my opinion. I mean, um, <laughs> that sounds a little more dismissive than I intended, but you know, like I had the original version, and whenever I upgrade, I mean, I I rarely have more than one version of the same album. I think there's only two. Uh, there's only one album in my collection that I have two versions of, and that's uh, Zappa's Sleep Dirt because the there's a version with vocals and a version without vocals. So, you know, mm. I, oh, I have, well, actually, no, I have the German and English versions of all the Kraftwerk albums, and I have, uh, no, actually, I don't think I ever bothered importing the Stereo Beatles versions, but, uh, except for White Album and, uh, Sgt. Sar- Pepper White Album and, uh, you know, the uh, Stereo only ones, but, okay, so I have more duplicates <laughs> in my collection than I thought, but I don't really see, you know, I, I, I tend to go with whatever's the current canonical version of an mm. album when there is one. So, like, like for example, you deleted all the shitty Beatles masters, right? Once the good ones came out. Oh hell figure. yes, yeah, <laughs> yeah. You yeah. don't. I don't need the 1987 CD version of anything uh, <laughs> of any Beatles record. Yeah, I mean, I'll probably keep the original mix in my iTunes just because I'm a Primus is one of my favorite bands of all time. Um, but yeah, I agree with where Matt is coming from. I mean, I was really hoping that the remaster would really f- sort of flesh out the sound of this record and it really succeeds on all fronts for me and um it's really caused me to fall in love with both primus and sailing the seas of cheese all over again uh it does come with a uh a few bonus tracks tacked on at the end a couple of live tracks from you can't see the date here they're too small oh yeah, two i mean sure, 20, 2012 2012 yeah uh of those damn blue collar tweakers in american life um these with jay lane who was not the original drummer on uh, sailing the seas of cheese. That would be Tim Alexander, and it also comes with a bass nectar dub. I guess this is dubstep remix of "Here Come the Bastards," which we don't really need to talk about. Um, well, it's not. It's not dubstep, but it's kind of dub, which mm. is its own thing. Yeah, Wikipedia. it's kind of pointless too. Yeah, I, <laughs> yeah. We can we could probably go on for ten minutes about bonus tracks. But I'm just gonna say, I, it always kind of annoys mm. me when I see a bonus tra- when I get a a, re- a re-release and the bonus tracks are. Live versions that are not contemporary with one, and I, I complained about that with one exception. Um, and I, the utterly useless remix bonus mm-hmm. track, it's mm-hmm. like, really, you know, we needed to hear someone go. I mean, honestly, the remix, uh, the bass next remix of whatever it was, uh, isn't offensive by any stretch. Just why is this here? I don't need this. Yeah. Well, for, for, the thing that I thought was weird with it is it basically kind of seems like here's the first half of the original song. 
now I'm going to hump a synth for a while and then, and then we're going to call it good. You know? Yeah. The second half of the song is nothing, has nothing to do with Primus really. Yeah. Um, but uh, yeah, they, I do like that big snare hit in the beginning, mm-hmm. but, uh, and, uh, but the live versions of those damn blue collar tweakers in American life are um, quite tasty mm-hmm. from, uh, and kind of modern takes on those, uh, those tunes. Yeah, they're they're good live versions. Don't get me wrong. I mean, I'm not really being. I don't really know Primus live very well. Yeah. But uh, yeah, just I would have preferred if there were live cuts from uh, the ninety one, ninety two. Yeah. I mean, it's it's, but I mean, at least they didn't do the same mistake Weezer did with the deluxe edition of Pinkerton. <laughs> oh yeah, the exactly the same demos. No, no, it's uh, oh. like five different live versions of the same of like three different songs, and they all sound exactly the same. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. The the three or four identical versions of like Pink Triangle or whatever. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. I mean, who yeah. needs that? So, <laughs> uh, but overall, I recommend the remastered 2013 edition of Sailing the Seas of Cheese to new and old Primus fans alike. So, I'm glad you guys uh, enjoyed it. Yeah. Yeah, yeah I need I need to pick it up because like I I went to the record store yesterday and uh, they only had the DVD version. I guess there's a Blu-ray version as well. So yeah, I ordered the Blu-ray version, um, and but it was delayed, and so I and they hadn't mentioned anything in the pre-release about whether or not it was going to be available on iTunes. So, uh, but once I saw that it was available on iTunes on release day, I canceled my my uh, Blu-ray order and just just bought it again on iTunes because that's really all I need. Mm. I I don't know. I really get into like the five one mixes and stuff like that. So mm, yeah, that would probably be cool. Um, and I have a five point one system. Yeah, I have uh, neither but... a five point one system nor a Blu ray player. So you know, why bother? <laughs> uh, so uh, do we do we want to talk Janelle Monet? Are we ready for that? Sure, sure. Okay. Uh, my pick this week was the uh, uh, about a month month and change old uh, single from uh, Janelle Monet, which is. Q-U-E-E-N, and it features uh, Erica Badu on there, and it is amazing. So why don't we hear a little bit of that right now? dancing my chair to that yeah i mean it's it's got a good beat and you can dance to it (laughs) and it makes a a great point about social and racial class in society and so that's always a good thing yeah it's it's such a good single honestly and and the video is amazing i've thrown the video in the show notes of course too but but yeah it's the the thing that i love about monet uh janelle monet's stuff is that it not only is it, I mean, so good from like, I mean, she's an amazing singer and songwriter, but she always has, you know, things to say too. I mean, it's, I mean, like this is going to be part of her new record, uh, the electric lady, which I hope comes out soon because I, I can hardly wait, <laughs> but I mean, she has this whole, like, um, like the, uh, Android or metropolis suite where, like she's singing from the point of view of an Android in a world that wants to decommission Androids that actually kind of become sentient or, or, or however, however you want to phrase it. But I mean, it's like such it's, I mean, it's, it's the metaphor itself is so loaded for, you know, race, gender, uh, LGBT, you know, feminism, all that kind of stuff. And it's just so smart. And I mean, you have the, the queen album or the queen single, uh, cause I'm not going to say it, all the letters again, cause that takes a while. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, but, uh, you know, I mean, with Queen, it's so good. And I mean, you have the, the, the thing about where the, the rap at the end, where, I mean, she kind of lays it out for you. And I mean, it ends with the, uh, you know, the, uh, bit about the, what is it? Um, will you be electric sheep, electric ladies? Will you sleep or will you preach? And like the way it just like completely ends on on will you preach it's just sort of like you know in case you weren't paying attention you know okay mm-hmm. and i i i just love it to bits so i am I, I think it might be her best thing which like today which is saying a lot because 
you know, her other stuff is really, really good too. So, yeah, I dig it. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not as qualified to speak on this kind of music as I am about Primus, but um, yeah, I thought it was good. I mean, it's definitely highly danceable. I think it sounds really good, and uh, I think it grooves. And yeah, I like that um, the rap part at the end, even. And I don't really listen to much rap or hip hop for that matter, um, but I approve. Yeah, I I dug the hell out of this. I I went and bought it on iTunes. Uh, I mean, I remember you were when it came out. You were Matt. You were gushing about it, and I just went out and got it on your recommendation. Oh, cool. Yeah, I I bought it the the day it dropped. So I I I I didn't know that you had bought it off my recommendation. I thought you were like kept to her already, but well, I I was, but I still picked it up on your recommendation because I mean I've got the Arc Android. Uh, it's an album I really need to go back to. Uh, I mean, mm. it, it's one of those like big, long, sprawling albums that you just can't put on every day. Mm. I, I can see that, but yeah, but I mean, there's so many like great things on there too. Yeah, like, it, it, I mean, Cold of, War is an amazing song. Yeah, it, it's sort of like Prague soul. Does that make any sense? Kinda, yeah. Actually, now that you say it, it kind of does. You know, it's, it's it's progressive soul. You know, it's it's soul music with the trappings of progressive rock. Um, mm. So yeah, the, you, you can't just put that on to, to 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 rock out you know you gotta invest a, a little time into it yeah she she demands attention mm-hmm. so you know i, I have the attention span for for queen most of the time mm. um i mean that's it's what it's how long uh, uh five five, five and a half something like that yeah, five five eleven i just checked um oh, okay yeah, I, I can you know i i usually have five minutes in my day if i, if I want to listen to that and so <laughs> um yeah and of course the music video is great, um, and yeah, the, I, I, the message is great too. I mean, you, I gotta you gotta throw a link to the lyrics in there. Uh, maybe I'll throw it in. I, or, a, I I do. I, I I've got the uh, rap genius page uh, in there because the, have you the best. yeah have you have you have you looked at a rap genius before? Yes, yes, I have. Yeah, I love how they have like you know because I mean, in a lot of times, a lot of like hip hop, there's a lot of really you know, there's a lot of references. And it's nice because they thread through, you know, the references and it's sort of, you know, it, it, it makes it a little bit easier to get, especially, you know, if you're like a square white guy like me, you know, who isn't up on everything, you know, it's sort of, it's nice to have that there, you know, <laughs> I agree. Mm-hmm. I hate that. She's only a year older than me. <laughs> God, I gotta get something done. <laughs> uh. <clears throat> We're older than you, and we we feel the yeah. same way. We you got to get no. We all got to get something done. Um, mm. Yeah, yeah. So I'll definitely have to check out the album when it comes out. It, it it's uh, it's really good. And I hope she puts on a good show because I'd love to see her on tour. I you know she's apparently really awesome with the dancing and the as well as the singing and the stuff. You know. Yeah. Yeah, I'd love to. I, I think it's cool that she act, like actually toured with uh, of Montreal. Hmm. Which is, you know, I mean, there was an of Montreal. We're on one of the, one cut on Arch Android, and I think she's on one cut of theirs on, you know, one of their more recent ones. But, but yeah, it's like it's kind of cool because they're not band or not folks that you would think of putting together. But I mean, in a weird way, it kind of works. I'm not really up on my of Montreal. So mental note. I saw of Montreal at I think the Rothbury Festival while I was waiting for Primus to come on at midnight. And it was interesting. And I was excited when Primus came on. <laughs> I think we've all had opening bands like opening bands like that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I've had one or two really good opening band experiences, but yeah, most of the time it's rough. Yeah. I'll I'll save my good opening band story for another time because mm-hmm. we're about thirty minutes in and killing it. Yeah, we ha- we have to talk uh if you don't mind uh Pink Floyd. Oh man. Uh specifically uh as I threatened in the last episode, my pick this week is The Piper at the Gates of Dawn, the first album by the British psychedelic eventually to become Prague, eventually to become the lumbering beast known as Pink Floyd. And uh it's the only album they did with Sid Barrett on all the songs and uh now, there's really not a bad cut on this record, but uh, I picked Lucifer Sam as our uh, little uh, hooky intro to the to the album because it's a song about a kitty. Yay! <laughs> so let's hear some of that. Lucifer Sam, 
the exact details of the conversation i think we ended up talking we had that mono stereo discussion again and so i think so yeah yeah the first the the, the version i have is the stupidly huge four three cd 40th anniversary edition which has the mono version on one disc the stereo version on another disc and a third disc of rarities and stuff but only some of the rarities are actually cool. I mean, there's the there's other tracks from those sessions that I really wish they could have put out, like on this. Like, uh, if you're up on your early Pink Floyd, there's a song called "Vegetable Man" and "Scream Thy Last Scream," which are both incredible. They're the last two songs Stid ever wrote. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's got the early singles like "Arnold Lane" and "See Emily Play" and a couple. Oh, the alternate version of "Matilda Mother" is really cool if you're if because I had never heard that before this came out. So, uh, anyway. I mean, this is... It's really psychedelic rock at its best, and the songwriting is absolutely incredible. Sid, at his prime, was one of the greatest lyricists, as well as just, you know, songwriters of the rock era. So, yeah, this this is him at his peak, which was a very short peak, unfortunately, because the man went mm. nuts. Uh, yeah. So I'd love to hear what you guys thought. It's been such a sense. I know, uh, Andrew, you're not up on the early Floyd. And Matt, I know you're not up on the Floyd, period. I, I have to say, like, I I this is probably the, the pick that I listen to the most, like, uh, trying to get prepared for the show. And it's, but it's, it's, uh, and I, I know that the, this is heresy, it, but, uh it didn't click with me at all. <laughs> like Uh-oh. I act, I actually prefer the the I guess the bloated Pink Floyd, uh, the you know the wish you were here kind of stuff. Because it's it's kind of funny because like it's one of those ones that like I kept going back to trying to see if I was missing something because I know it's like you know I mean you like highly recommended it, Rich. Like I've had so many friends say like the only Pink Floyd worth listening to is the Sid Barrett stuff. <laughs> I just you know oh you okay. <laughs> like yeah, go uh, on. okay it sounded like you <laughs> fell over or choked or died or something <laughs> sneezed ah okay uh um but yeah it's like so it's it's so many people are be like okay you know fuck all the re- fuck all the rest of it it's it's the sid barrett stuff that's like the really good pink floyd and i've heard that from so many people and it's one where like I just didn't get it. I, I just, I, I listened to it like three or four times through trying to get it, you know? Cause I mean, a lot of times it's sort of like, I can go like, okay, that, you know, this isn't my thing or, or, you know, whatever. But like this one almost seemed more like a moral failing on my part for not getting. <laughs> <laughs> and, but to me, it just seemed kind of like, all right, but kind of standard psychedelia, honestly, from the sixties, the like it's sort of, like I like I, it's one where I I don't know the timing on it where it seemed like if someone listened to Freak Out and was trying to to kind of do that kind of thing but without the interesting changes, or if Freak Out was kind of a response to stuff like Piper, and I don't know it just like I I just was like it was to me it's kind of like like early Mothers of Invention without the stuff that I I really like about mother the mothers. So I I don't know. Like I said, I, I, I think this is a moral failing on my part. I don't know if it necessarily says anything about um, the record or the Sid Barrett era, but I just did not get it. And it, and it, and it, and it hurt my brain that I didn't get it from, you know, having so many people and so many people who are usually like right on about music, you know, just do something that I just did not get. So did you at least enjoy the song about the kitty? It was okay. <laughs> and the, I guess that's the thing is like the the album was okay. Uh, I mean, I, I didn't hate it. I just was like, sort of like, wait, this is a masterpiece. This, you know, I don't know. It just seemed like something I could have on in the background and go like, oh yes, this is this is psychedelia. <laughs> hmm. Um, I definitely enjoyed it. Um, so as I've mentioned on previous episodes, I am. A huge Pink Floyd fan, but my my fandom is 
limited strictly to the Roger Water era uh, albums, for better or for worse. Um, Animals being my favorite and obviously being a huge side of Dark Side of the Moon and Wish You Were Here. Um, so this is this was really an educational listen to me because I had heard, you know, about the early Pink Floyd and how Piper the Gates of Dawn was, you know, very uh, was awesome and everything. And um, I certainly didn't have the the um, I'll say negative reaction that uh, Matt had, but it's definitely less accessible um, and more sort of psychedelic. Um, but that being said, I mean, I definitely enjoyed it. I need to. Uh, give it more repeated listens, even though we had a week off, which was my fault. Sorry, listeners. Um, I need to give it more listens, and I look forward to doing it because I want to be well versed in in this part of the of the Pink Floyd mythology. Um, I feel like I've heard Lucifer Sam before, um, and uh, so I definitely enjoyed that song. But I'm I'm kind of fascinated with Piper at the Gates of Dawn in terms of you know, the, its role, where it, where it lies in the whole Pink Floyd discography, you know, being the only Sid Barrett album and, you know, having the band, having whole albums dedicated to him and his genius, you know, and this was, you know, this is actually him, you know, at the forefront. Um, and it's kind of amazing that Dark Side of the Moon was released six years later, I think, according to my iTunes, um, you know, and I think Dark Side is, I'm pretty sure it's regarded as being the most cohesive in the sense of the band working together before Roger Waters really um, became a megalomaniac or whatever. <laughs> um, so yeah, I definitely I liked it a lot. Uh, it needs to it needs to sort of settle with me because I feel like it's uh, it was a lot to take in being used to the Pink Floyd of Dark Side of the Moon, Wish You Were Here, and Animals and that sort of thing. And this was um, certainly less accessible, but I'm sure um, I can see uh, where the greatness lies even though it might be a little bit more difficult to access did did either of you check out the the third disc with the with the singles no i didn't have a chance to do that no i apologize uh, I, I suggest you do that i mean there that's it's that's that's sort of the, the the more gentle intro into the barrett pink floyd because they are they are singles and uh mm-hmm. you know arnold lane and c emily play are really classic songs in fact, uh, yeah. So I think you'll you'll pick up a bit on it. Uh, mm-hmm. Candy in a Current Bun is also a really good one. Um, I'll I'll uh, geek out a little bit and tell you a brief story behind that. That the uh, Candy in a Current Bun was uh, actually originally titled "Let's Roll Another One." See if you can figure out what that was about. Mm-hmm. And so the BBC was like, "Hey, you can't do a song about marijuana." Only they said it in a British accent. Like Sid's like, "Fine, I'll rewrite it." And so when he rewrote it, he uh, inserted a lot. He changed a lot. One of the lines to uh, from "I'm high." Or, yeah, sorry. Um, yeah, he changed uh, a line. Um, uh, please uh, don't just talk. Please just talk with me. Just talk with me, or just walk with me. To please just fuck with me. <laughs> mm. And the BBC was like, "Well, it's not about marijuana. I think that we can get this through. We don't need to live it a lesson." <laughs> and so it was one of the first uh, songs that came out, and uh, that had the word. You know, first rock song said the word fuck in it. <laughs> so did the BBC continue playing it, or were they sort of like, oh! Actually, I don't think it was the BBC. It was the record label. I'm sorry. I'm oh, confused, oh, okay. Yeah, the record label. You can't put out a song about marijuana? <laughs> Wait, come no on. Yeah. No one, no one had done that by 1967. <laughs> right. So there we go. So, um, hmm. so where do we want to go from here? Uh, do we want to talk... Uh, Daft Punk, or do we want to talk Ray Manzarek? Oh, why don't we go from... Oh, go ahead. I was going to say Ray, Ray just because that kind of goes, like, at least, you know, contemporary era. Mm -hmm. Yep. Okay. So, yeah, Ray Manzarek, keyboardist for The Doors, passed away uh, the other week. Which uh, is sad, because, I mean, not only, you know, he... I, I gave him a hard time recently in an article I wrote about the two Doors albums they put out without Jim Morrison, but... He really wasn't that bad of a guy. I mean, he 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 was a great keyboardist and uh, played pedal bass because the Doors had no bass. Sorry, Andrew. Oh my God, that's <laughs> why I don't like them at all. <laughs> <laughs> well, between that and like Jim Morrison being a colossal douche. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I I I only really like the the first and the last Doors albums. You know, they're 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 really you know, you, you you can't deny that the first and the last Doors albums are really really good. How do you not have a bass player? <laughs> they have like studio bass players, but in concert, you know, Ray would just play a pedal bass with his feet. Uh, 
Uh, I'm sorry. You guys keep talking. I need a minute. Also, he he produced the he he kept up on things. I mean, in, when the band X uh, was getting started, he saw them play at the Whiskey A Go Go and produced their first like three albums. And and uh, X are about as far away from the Doors as you can get. So is that they're actually good. <laughs> <laughs> oh, come on, guys. <laughs> I just hate the Doors. I'm sorry. I, yeah, all right. Cool. All right. <laughs> Although I, I have to say, I do like Craigslist, the Weird Al style parody of the Doors that Ray actually plays on. Yeah, and yeah, I, yeah, and I, I think that I think my main beef with the Doors is is Jim Morrison. Like, like he was such like. Just, I, I do not get his allure at all. I think he was like a shitty vocalist, a shitty lyricist, and a shitty person. <laughs> so it's sort of like, you know, I, I probably would have liked The Doors much better if it was just, you know, someone else. I don't know. Having heard the two Doors albums they did without him, no, you wouldn't. <laughs> ah. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I mean, I don't enjoy it when any great musician dies and uh, I hope that Ray rests in peace and everything but and I don't have any personal beef against Jim Morrison uh, but all I know is that anytime I've heard a Doors song I've just been disgusted <laughs> maybe I don't know maybe it's just an overexposure thing like you know because it's you know I really would only be exposed to them when I heard them on the radio or whatever and I would always be like oh this freaking song so annoying and everybody loves it but ugh. um so I don't know. No offense, Doors. I I I I I'm with you, Andrew. Although I have to say, I do like the uh, Kids in the Hall sketch about the Doors. Mm, never seen it. The, oh, being a Doors fan. Mm. Doors fans don't make the porn. I did you beat me to it, or should I throw that in the show notes? Rich? Throw it in the show notes. Okay. Um. So, yeah, I'm the same way with the Rolling Stones. Like I don't understand why we like this. I like the early Stones. Stones. Some of the Stone songs are good. Some of them are not so good. I like 20,000 Light Years From Home. And that's That's it. one of the ones I don't like. It's just, it's, <laughs> it's, their, ba- it's their bad attempt at, at ripping off uh, psychedelic music. Sgt. Peppers. Well, I know, but the only reason I like that is because Les Claypool's Frog Brigade used to cover it in the early 2000s. Hmm. <sighs> I, 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 think, I think a lot of times with like the Stones, is they're, they're one of those bands that's like better covered. Because like... I've heard some like really amazing covers of like Dead Flowers, which is like makes me go like, okay, this is like indeed a an awesome song. Um, but to be honest, like a lot of times the the actual Stones ones themselves, the Stone songs themselves are kind of like okay, you know, like I don't I don't hate them, I don't love them, but you know they don't they do not offend me on on any level they, except for like some of the later shitty ones where it's like hang it up already, God, <laughs> yeah. I, I will say I did see the Rolling Stones in concert about uh, twelve years ago with my dad. That was, I mean, at least I can say I saw the Stones in concert before. Sure. One of the major members finally killed over and died. <laughs> Not that they have yet, but uh, anyway. So I guess we should talk about Daft Punk then, because I think we we might be all in agreement on this one. <laughs> yeah, it's a band that we actually like. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I, I I I really dig. It. I I I I love that. Like it's. It really sounds like a lost classic from like maybe 1981. Wait, what album are we talking about? Uh, the new one, uh, Random Access Memories. Oh yes, huge fan. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. It's it's. I mean, it's surprising, and I, and I like that someone did a um, a comparison on um, Tumblr of um, the back cover. I think it was uh, it was one of the Michael Jackson albums. I think it was Off the Wall. Where it uses the same font and the same design for the the back cover, where it's just like the black with the the handwritten song titles, mm. and it's like kind of funny that that you like, and it's such a simple thing. And if you look at the the disc, if I don't know if did any of you actually buy it physically or negative, nah, no. Okay, okay, I I, I actually did, um, but um, it and I've seen pictures of the LPs too, but they both the CD and the LP uses the old style Columbia label. Like the red, you know, the uh, the red Columbia label, which I thought was kind of a cool thing. Because, I mean, again, it looks like an old record. And I think that's like kind of a cool thing because it, it sounds like an old record. I mean, in a, in a good way. It sounds like, a, like I said, a lost classic from, you know, late 70s, early 80s. And it's got a uh, Paul Williams on it, too, which is kind of cool. <laughs> oh, yeah. I, touch is when the, when the horse kick in on touch. That's that's just so awesome. Hmm. But yeah, yeah I mean. 
I think we all have like our favorite songs on this one, probably. I mean, I love the hell out of uh, Contact, uh, Lose Yourself to Dance. Mm-hmm. And Giorgio by Marauder is a, it's a song I, that I, I love, but I can understand why someone wouldn't. I love that guy's voice. <laughs> why I, don't I, really, I use the synthesizer? <laughs> I really liked Instant Crush, which was kind of surprising because I think that's the one with the guy from the, the Strokes on there. And I, I've never really cared much either way for the, the Strokes. Like, they're, 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 I don't hate them. I just go like, eh. But I really liked that that cut. So. It's actually kind of got me interested in checking out the Strokes because uh, apparently that guitar solo in the song is is very Strokes esque. Mm. Yeah, I, I and found like a, it's a great solo. Yeah, I found if you do like like the the Strokes stuff that I like is the stuff after their their first one, which sounded like it was one of those ones where it was like just really lo fi, and I think it was lo fi to be cool because you know the son of an A and R guy and RCA had their like full backing and all that kind of stuff, and it's sort of like. Okay, this is just kind of lame if you're all like, we did this in our garage, even though it's full of like 8,000 cars and, and has like a full, you know, 24 track studio in there. <laughs> yeah. But, but yeah, I mean, but I, I, I really dug the, the new, uh, Daft Punk. I was, I was a little worried when I heard that they had gotten away from synthesizers mm. on it just because I love synths and I mean, synths and Daft Punk kind of go together, you know? Yeah. Well, there's definitely some synths on here. Oh yeah, but they're very much in the in the background. They're 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 a spice instrument rather than the lead instrument. Yeah, there's a special focus on studio musicians, if I read correctly. Yeah, um, yeah. I know nothing about the Strokes, but uh, "Instant Crush" is probably my favorite track uh, on the album as well. And I'm a big fan of using real instruments. Um, <laughs> uh, <laughs> But yeah, I I love it. I've been I was anticipating it like the rest of the internet, and uh, I think it's great. Um, where how would you compare this album to Discovery? I don't really think you can because they're so so different. Honestly, yeah, I, I I honestly I don't know if I mean like they're both good, but I mean mm-hmm. like in in terms of yeah, they 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 don't really they don't really fit well together because they're so it's almost like two different bands with the same, same name and same members and same kind of aesthetic, but mm-hmm. in complete different ends. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, Random access memories feels very sort of expansive to me. Yeah. Like kind of in the same way that like um, the new Justin Timberlake record feels like a very expansive sort of grandiose pop record. Um, this sort of feels has that similar feel and kind of like almost the same way um, Kurt Vile, the Kurt Vile record had this kind of big expansive. What did we say? What was that like rock? Not rock, but um, and not folk either. I forget what what genre we were talking about when we were talking about Kurt Vile. But, you know, with the with the um, the sort of real singer songwriter, but with the the longer songs. And it just kind of makes the these records feel sort of like these these greater works as opposed to just a collection of three or four or five minute tracks yeah the difference um, is that you know every second of random access memories is essential and about half of 2020 experience is not yeah i was gonna say like like um random access memories does not bore me like yeah like i mean and and, and i i mean i i liked the the new jt i mean i mean i'm not but as we saw said there there was a lot of what felt like filler on on the 2020 experience sure but um I don't, I don't, I don't hear filler on the new uh, Daft Punk. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, uh, I probably give it a little bit more credit than fifty-fifty, but uh, I could definitely see where you're coming from, and um, I'm not ashamed to love the new Daft Punk record, like I <laughs> might slightly be to like the new Justin Timberlake record. Um, but the the one thing that that isn't really a negative about how I feel about Random Access Memories, but that just sort of sort of sticks in the back of my head is that. It is electronic, and I like certain electronic music. And the, the thing with me, with I was thinking about this while I was driving home from where I was coming last night. And uh, the thing that what turns me off in terms of music or art or people or whatever, it usually is a lack of depth, um, which is why I tend to stay away from the sort of mainstream stuff because the mainstream tends to be very shallow so that people can access it and there doesn't tend to be much there which i think is partially one of the reasons i've had difficulty uh getting into country music because it tends to be very literal and direct um and not a lot of subtlety uh 
and I think that these sort of longer tracks between like the new JT album and and random and I don't mean to keep comparing those two, but I'm just talking about in terms of how they both kind of have they're both kind of widely anticipated and they have these longer tracks and um you know they're both were number one album in the country. Yeah, both critically acclaimed, I was gonna say. Um and I think that it kind of adds a certain layer level of depth. And I talked about that a little bit with the Justin Timberlake album. Um and I don't know if if longer tracks are as common or rare when it comes to electronic music, but I mean like you listen to Giorgio uh, by Marauder, and it's it's I I don't really don't want to use the word and touch you know I really don't want to use the word epic but it kind of it does sort of have that really grand feel um, and for the most part I think I tend to think electronic music you know how much depth can there possibly be with the dun 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 whatever um, it, but, it really depends I mean electronic yeah. music as as a classifier is way too vague mm-hmm. because I mean every, it's the sound, electronic sounds have so permeated uh, music these days that it's 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 like saying guitar music, like yeah, um, guitar music. Uh, you listen to guitar music. What what kind of guitar music do you listen to? People playing folky acoustic guitar, or uh, really distorted electric guitar, or do you listen to people who take their guitars and smash them against the wall for 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 three minutes? Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, I mean that that's all guitar music, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, I think that's a really good point. Because, um, Rich, you were talking on the app.net with uh, Harry Marks about who, you know, was very proud to uh, to pan the new Daft Punk record. And you were talking about, you know, what kind of electronic music are you into? And he was saying how it's, it's all very repetitive to him and just sort of the same thing for five or six minutes. And I think that there's so much more here than than your typical, you know. Um, yeah, he, he's coming around on uh, on. The Daft on this particular album, by the way. Yeah. Um, yeah. But um, yeah, I mean, there. I think I may have mentioned before that the two different major schools of electronic music, or at least German electronic music, which is what I'm mostly familiar with, which is you got your your Berlin school, which is like long, droney, ambienty, fiddly stuff, and you got your your Dusseldorf school, best embodied by Kraftwerk, uh, which is tends to be errors on the side of shorter tracks, but Kraftwerk had their epic pieces and it's more textural, solid beat to it. Uh, you know, Kraftwerk uh, is sort of where the roots of electronic dance music comes from. So if you listen to, a, you know, a good, an electronic song that's got a good, you know, like four to the floor beat that you can really shake your boot, shake your booty to, you know, that, that mm-hmm. you can trace that almost directly back to Kraftwerk. And I, I know too, like, um, with, uh, what uh talking about like with the rep- repetition is i know that um like my girlfriend quinn is very lyrically based and she hates pink F- or not pink floyd um hates daft punk because of this because like like we were in a, a store and we were hearing uh get lucky and i mean pretty much like the the hook is you know we're up all night to get lucky you know and that's right. it kind of says that over and over and over and over and over but for me like i mean like i i i really like it, it partly because i mean there's to me, there's so much going on in the the music and the sound of it too that makes it interesting. And there's like it gets into a really good groove and all that kind of stuff. Where for Quinn and I'm and I'm not saying that this is like bad or that she's wrong or anything, even though we do disagree. So I guess you know, <laughs> you know, I guess she is wrong on this one. But but I mean for mm-hmm. her, like the the lack of lyrical depth blocks her out. She like like she I remember like she was like going like like oh my god that like. Because like a, a a friend of ours had sent her some other Daft Punk because I guess the um, said friend is also into Daft Punk and she was all like bitching to me was like God do you know this like Daft Punk band there's this like one song like um, Technologic like what the fuck it's so awful and I'm like wait well, be, glad, mean, be glad she didn't hear around the world yeah but I mean I'm like to me I was like going wait Technologic that song is awesome what are you talking about but of course with with the lyrics to that I mean there are there's no content to the lyric really it's just you know the uh you know step erase it did rewrite it you know the you know that that it's just the repetition of like commands you know yeah like and and for her i mean that was just like a complete deal breaker because they're not saying anything you know they're, 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 there's words there but they don't mean nothing yeah, <laughs> yeah repeti- repetition in electronic music is not a bug it's a feature it's uh right. I mean, it's it's a nature of the of the form, and it's a nature primarily born out of, I think, the equipment. Because you know, when you had, um, you, you know, you're building this hardware to play this equip this this stuff for you, 
uh, like, you know, you want like a, a bass line in a song, you know, you can either have someone plunking out a bass line on a synthesizer, or you can say, you know what, let's just have sequence. this machine sequence a bass line, you know, 16 mm-hmm. notes of bass, and then we can play that the whole time and maybe, you know, maybe switch it to something else later, but it's going to probably have to stick at that same tempo because it's a machine playing it. Yeah. I mean, we're, it, we're less limited by that now, but it's such a, it's so codified by the nature of, as part of the nature of the genre mm-hmm. that, you know, you're not, you're, you know, same with like drum machines. You've got a machine that's playing and, you know, you, to, 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 middle, to fiddle with that, especially if you're an electronic band that's playing live, you know, you don't have the time to maybe reach over there and speed up the drum machine to the right tempo and then speed it back down. Right. So, Yeah, I mean, I can totally relate to what Quinn is saying in terms of the lack of lyrical depth being a, a deterrent because, I mean, like you look at Lose Yourself to Dance and that song is mostly Lose Yourself to Dance and a lot of come-ons. You know, come on, come on, come on, come on. And I love the come on, come on, come on, come on. But I like the melodic role that it plays. And same, I think the sim, uh, I could say the same for a lot of the songs, like on Instant Crush. I mean, I haven't looked up the lyrics to it yet. But, I mean, I'm sure that those lyrics during the chorus, you know, are not particularly profound. But the, the melodic role that they play is so memorable and uh, makes it totally awesome. So I can see why... Um, you know, a lack of lyrical depth. And that's my problem with country music, really, is, you know, you know, save a horse, ride a cowboy, and all that garbage. Like, <laughs> I can't, uh, like, could you have, like, a little subtlety or, like, a little bit of layered meaning, you know, maybe use a metaphor or something? Um, but <laughs> I mean, dig metaphors. Yeah. <laughs> DIG dig, dig. Cowboys. Um, but, uh, I mean, I can see why. What was I going to say about this? Like, I think that. I mean, Random Access Memories is a great record, and I would recommend it to anybody, but it's not like, I can't think of an example, but it's not like a record, I could see why some people would not like it. So I don't, I wouldn't put on Random Access Memories to a non-Daft Punk fan and expect them to be blown away. Whereas, like, there are certain records, uh, again, I can't think of one off the top of my head, but there are certain records where I would be offended if, if they did not at least appreciate, you know, what they were hearing. Um, so I can see, I think it's great, but I can see why people would not, I guess is what I'm rambling about. Yeah. <laughs> and I mean, say. if you, yeah. And I mean, if you do look at the lyric sheet, cause it, uh, the CD does come with a, a lyric sheet mm-hmm. and yeah, I mean, you look at it and like, I mean, lose yourself to dance. There's like one actual verse, which is, I know you don't get a chance to take a break this often. I know your life is speeding and it ain't, isn't stopping here. Take my shirt and just go ahead and wipe up all this sweat, sweat, sweat. Then it goes, lose yourself to dance, lose yourself to dance, lose yourself to dance, lose yourself to dance. Come on, 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 come on. Lose yourself to dance, lose yourself to dance, lose yourself to dance, lose yourself to dance. Everybody's dancing on the floor, getting ready for more. Everybody on the floor, everybody on the floor. Lose yourself to dance, lose yourself to dance, lose yourself to dance, lose yourself to dance. I mean, those are literally the the lyrics. Honestly, though, if you've ever lost yourself to dance, you can appreciate that. <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, that's the thing about it. this is, you know, music that's designed to be danced to, not listened to and philosophized over. Yeah, but I mean, it's like one where I mean, you know, look at that and you can you can definitely see where Quinn's coming from. You know, it's oh, yeah, yeah, you know, I mean, because I mean, well, she's an English major, too. And I mean, she is. Yeah, she's so like us and yeah. well, I know, but I mean, she's like <laughs> she is very, very into words like she's a poetess. Like she just, you know, I mean. Words are her thing, and I and for and I think they kind of trump music. Like I mean, like and I, and I mean I can see that too because I mean there's so so many uh, songs out there with like absolutely brilliant lyrics that mm-hmm. you know I can see where for someone like her, and again this isn't me talking, but you know it's you know I can see where she could go like okay why am I going to listen to you know come on 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 when I could listen to you know um, geez, I don't know, like, you know, something, something with actual, something to say, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Well, we might want to I mean, start wrapping this up. Yeah. There... I think it just goes to, you know, show that, you know, good music doesn't have universal, a universal checklist of what it must have in order to be considered, you know, fantastic. Yeah. I mean, like, I, I know that like, if you played this, this record for me and Quinn in the same room, I would say it's brilliant. She would say it's garbage. Mm-hmm. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, but yeah, we like and definitely worth checking out. And 
uh, Andrew, if you're very, I recommend, I made this recommendation to Mr. To Mr. Mark, so I'll recommend it to you too. I don't know if I want to make it my pick because I know it's one of the ones that Matt and I adore, but Trans Europe Express by Kraftwerk mm. will uh, be a good intro, I think, to some of the uh, more old school electronic. It it's, sort of combines both depth and pop sensibilities. Okay. I'm willing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that, you'll have to do that on your own and report back to us. <laughs> Got it. That's right. so much homework. So we should probably wrap this one up. We went a little long, I think. <laughs> eh, perfect timing. All right. Uh, so, probably partly because I, I read the, the, the full song of uh, Lose Yourself to Dance out loud. But <laughs> um, Come on, 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 come <laughs> on. Come on. Uh, so where can we find each other on what? the internets? Uh, Andrew Marvin is my Twitter handle and uh, .net is my website. And uh, I'm also Andrew Marvin on app.net and all other internet services i'm uh kitty sneezes.com kitty sneezes on uh tumblr twitter and app.net even though i still don't get app.net and um yeah it's just you don't get it doesn't mean it's not good i know i know and this is this is totally like me and quinn on daft punk you know you guys are all like this is brilliant i'm going this is garbage <laughs> only i don't think it's i don't think AppNet's actually garbage i just don't yeah i didn't that. get it for a long time either i'm starting to now but we don't have to talk about that <clears throat> yeah sanspoint.com sanspoint on the twitter and the AppNet and the last fm and uh if anyone is in the new york area on wednesday june the 5th i will be competing in the uh, qualifiers for the U.S. Air Guitar Championships in Ooh. at the St. Vitus Bar in Brooklyn, New York, and it is free for spectators. I will be competing as the Fat White Duke. <laughs> and we're CrushingRadio.com, Crushing Radio on the Twitter and the Facebook and the the the, the whatever, and leave us a review on iTunes. Uh, we will love you dearly, and we gotta go. The return of the fat white duke waiting patiently for pie. (laughs) Good night, everybody. (laughs) Bye. Come on, come on, come on, come on, come on.